Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear friends of Christ, I, I realize I'm going to lose some of the millennials here, but I want you to picture an old-school seesaw. Teeter-totters have gone the way of the Corvair. Now I've really lost those millennials. Corvairs, of course, according to Nader, were unsafe at any speed, right? Well, so are teeter-totters. Back in the day, they were a standard piece of playground equipment at any park. I remember the teeter-totters up at Ontonagon County Park. We would camp there in the summer times when we were visiting my grandparents. And my brother and I, if we weren't catching frogs, would go over to the picnic site and they had this huge set of teeter-totters. They were so big that we couldn't reach up and pull that up one down, it was too big for us. So we'd have to go around this side, we'd pick up the other one, and now we could get, get both sides. And it took everything, those old teeter-totters had cast iron pivots on the bottom, remember that? Three, three little slots? Well, it, it took all that we could manage for us to shift it off the center one to one side because I, I got the short end. I was older and I was actually a pretty chubby little kid. We could spend a half an hour up and down, up and down. Teeter-totters were great fun until the frogs called or somebody got bumped too hard. Like I said, teeter-totters have gone the way of the Corvair because, well, they're unsafe. I remember some pretty nasty splinters and some pinched fingers, but the real danger came if someone fell off or jumped off <laughs> and the other one would go crashing to the ground. Well, on the Antonagon teeter-totters, that was quite a fall. I paint this picture because a teeter-totter is really a balance beam. And as such, it fits the commercial language of our text from Philippians chapter 3. Paul describes his life and ours with the language of gains and losses, credits and debits. Picture the merchant of his day weighing out the goods to be sold and then weighing out the coins in payment on a teeter-totter, on a balance beam. And Paul begins with an inventory of gains, which he calls the, his confidences in the flesh. The first three are no fault of his own. They're the circumstances of his birth. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Then he summarizes it, a Hebrew of Hebrews. While his father was a Roman citizen, he was an expatriate living outside in Tarsus. And he made sure that his son knew his heritage. He gave him the name Saul the first Israelite king, who was also a Benjaminite. The second three, however, are marks of personal achievement. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. The most important one he keeps for last. Chapter 3 begins with this warning. Paul writes, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. We would describe them as the Judaizers, those who want to return the Jewish rules. Measured by the standards of righteousness, namely that connected with the awe, the old Jewish standard by which these Judaizers would judge, their verdict would, could only be, as far as Paul is concerned, blameless. I mean, we might quibble about the standard being used, but Paul makes this claim in all honesty. All this Paul would heap up on one side of that teeter-totter. They're all laudable assets. They're all gains in the language of our text. In a commercial sense, Paul's balance sheet is positive. 
But what about you and me? We have no such credits. We're neither Benjaminites or Pharisees that I'm aware of. Do we take no confidence in the flesh? I believe we do. We just use different categories. Our culture molds us in ways that we don't always see or sense. Where the standards of Paul's day and Paul's culture were exterior, ours have become internal. If I were challenged to put a name on it, I would call it self-actualization. Be all you can be, right? That old army recruiting slogan from 1980s, or also a very bad sermon series title from 95. But with self-actualization, who defines what I can or should be? Well, I do. And that's the most dangerous part of our confidence in the flesh. Whatever I define myself to be, my to-be-realized potential, you must affirm as good and right and true. It's more than just political correctness. It's more than just internalizing the Bill of Rights or the Gettysburg Address. It appears to be affirming the intrinsic value of every person. I mean, it sounds good, but it is the devil's own lie the LGBT agenda that is prying apart God's created order, the family, is good and right and true? Hmm, I think not. The pro-choice requirements that are now codified into our laws, good and right and true? No. The intolerance of tolerance that makes each one the master and ruler and deity with a small d of himself or herself? No. Self-actualization piles all of this on one side of the teeter-totter and calls it gain. Chad Bird describes it this way. The good life happens when people finally accept me for who I am, when my parents are proud of me, when my wife looks up to me, when my husband begins to show affection to me, when people see me as, don't see me as ugly or fat or disabled or poor or depressed. Close quote. That's self-actualization. And then right when we're comfortable, Paul falls off the teeter-totter. And it's no accident, it's deliberate, and we fall down hard. Paul writes, but whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. I count them as rubbish. This is not some Reformation-era rejection of works righteousness that Paul suddenly realized the futility. It's a categorical rejection. Everything I gained is garbage. It's a little like Steve Wynn and his Picasso. Wynn purchased the painting, The Dream, at auction in 1997. He paid $47 million for it at Christie's in New York. It turned out to be quite an investment. In less than a decade, Wynne completed a deal to sell the painting for $139 million, almost troubling his investment. It would have set a record for the sale of a piece of art. It would have, because just before the deal was completed, Wynne, who was standing close to the painting, turned around and inadvertently clobbered his Picasso with his elbow. He put a six-inch hole in the middle of the masterpiece. Well, no one is certain of what that does to the value of the painting itself, but the effect on the sale price was instantaneous. Even more quickly than it came, $139 million was gone. So what does that torn treasure mean in our case? 
Is self-actualization, being all I can be, is that bankrupt? Is it fallen off the teeter-totter? Well, yeah, it has. Why? Because of a proper understanding of original sin. The old Adam, the old Eve living inside of us. Now that runs counter to our self-actualizing society. It runs counter to popular Christianity's view of man. So much of what we hear and published is sung, is proclaimed as our life is a work in progress. And it makes sense. I mean, that's how we understand life. We start from where we're at. If I want to run a marathon, I start small. I get a good pair of running shoes and a coach. He'll have me pounding the pavement at deliberate and determined distances, slowly incrementing my workout to match my growth. There'll be 5Ks, then 10Ks, then a half marathon. He'll address issues of diet and temperament, mental preparation for the challenge, and finally, if all goes well, there'll be 26.22 miles. But the way forward begins with where I am. Getting back to the teeter-totter, it's a little like moving the pivot point. Work in progress says I just have to move it far enough and start working. Original sin says you can't move it far enough. Original sin recognizes that the villain of Good Friday is not Satan or sin or the world. The villain of Good Friday is me. Here we must admit, though, that the analogy of the teeter-totter kind of breaks down. As Paul gets to the heart of his gain-becomes-loss argument, Paul writes, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, there are two kinds of righteousness. There are literally two different teeter-totters here. The first righteousness, according to the law, works according to the playground rules just like those teeter-totters in Antonagin. Paul's confidence is according to the flesh. His gains are on one side. His sin, that's his actual sin, not his original sin, sits on the other. My value is the balance of the two. The other teeter-totter is completely different. It's not a question of gain or loss, sin and merit. It's a question of identity. It's a question of righteousness. The righteousness that, quote, comes through faith in Christ through my faith, in what Christ has done for me. That's good and pious and true. However, there's another truth in this text. We could translate the second half of verse 9 this way. A righteousness that comes through the faithfulness of Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. It's Christ's faithfulness that's powerful and effective. That teeter-taller balances not my sin, but my original sin on one side, perfect faithfulness of my Savior on the other. David Chetraeus in the Formula Concord expresses it this way. Therefore his, that's Christ's obedience, his faithfulness, consists not only in his suffering and death, but also in the fact that he freely put himself in our place under the law and fulfilled the law with this obedience and reckoned it to us as righteousness. As a result of his total obedience, which he performed on our behalf for God in his deeds and suffering, in life and death, God forgives our sins, considers us upright and righteous, and grants us eternal salvation. Close quote. You are forgiven. Christ's faithfulness, his righteousness, is credited to us. 
There is another use for a teeter-totter. Have you ever been to a circus? Acrobats use a teeter-totter to launch each other into the air. It's the opposite of falling off and your partner comes crashing down. No, they deliberately jump onto the upper end and boing, off they go. When Christ lands on this teeter-totter, the entire load of our sin, our self-actualized wanderings, our sinfulness, the entire load is launched out of the ring, out of the tent, as far as the east is from the west, borrow the psalmist's phrase. Or more personally, we get launched onto the cross. We co-die with Christ. We co-bleed with him. We are co-buried with him, and we are co-resurrected with him. And his resurrection empowers our living. We press on in the face of present struggles. We live sacrificially in a world of consumption. We seek the interests of Christ in a world of self-interest and misguided self-actualization. We participate in community in a world that celebrates individuality. As wild as that seems, all this ha actually happens at the font. Everything that world calls gain is drowned and died. And the righteousness of Christ is credited to us. The Holy Spirit indwells and empowers us. We are found in Christ, balanced on the teeter-totter of faith. Christ's faithfulness has been credited to us. Christ's righteousness is our righteousness. Christ himself sits astride the teeter-totter and we're clothed in his righteousness, perfectly balanced on the other side. We hear the gleeful giggle of equally weighted playmates, us and our Savior. Nothing can hurt us or harm us here. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.